Mini episode 1271 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. I am here with fellow original FDH Lounge dignitary Chris Galloway. It's that time of year again. We are going through the NFL division by division. Today we are taking a look at, this is part five in our series of divisional previews, the NFC East for the year 2020. And uh, standard kind of disclaimer at the top here, I'm going to refer everybody back to the first part of our series, which was on the AFC East. We did about 10 minutes or so on the general COVID situation for this year, the things that are going to make this season unique. From there, all we're doing is looking at how it affects some of the teams as we go along. We've done that already. I don't know that we're going to have any here in the NFC East that will say that it affects maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I have a sense on maybe one or two of these teams potentially. But uh, Chris Galloway, uh, when I look at the NFC East, I see, quite frankly, a lot of continuity from last year. I see two teams in this division that are certainly playoff caliber and two teams that most definitely are not. Rick, let me just say, how about them Cowboys? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, I agree with you on that point. Um, uh, in this case, I'm going to pick those Cowboys to be marginally better than mediocre and uh, win the East, followed by the slightly marginally less mediocre uh, Eagles, and then the awful Giants and awful Redskins. So, um, in that order, and uh, although it's possible, although I don't think so, the Skins could jump the Giants, but I don't believe that's going to happen this year. Well, I've got them just about equally awful. Uh, My my order at the top of the division is flip-flopped from yours, but I'll defer to your order of finish here. So let's start with the Cowboys. I got them at 9-7. and seven. I'm guessing you probably have them for at least slightly better than that. You've got an offense with a lot of skill position talent. You add C.D. Lamb to the mix, which was a very interesting and I would say shocking first-round pick. I can still remember our uh, uh, the way that we reacted to that the night of the draft when you and I were doing the Facebook Live session there. Uh, That was a little bit uh, surprising, but uh, again, really kind of, this is something that I've talked about uh, teams doing before, and the Cowboys did it previously. I was a big proponent of them drafting Ezekiel Elliott back when people said, well, why would you do that? You already have the best offensive line in the league. Anybody can get a thousand yards back there. My thing is like, yeah, but not everybody can get 2,000 yards back there. The Cowboys, the one thing I will say is they do a thing Uh, Not all the time, but this is the second time I can remember it in recent years. Weaponizing a position where you are already strong so that you can be truly elite at that position and a real matchup problem for other teams. Well, that's exactly what they did. And, you know, your 
Jones and you're sitting there on your yacht on, uh, <laughs> on the draft night, you know, and CeeDee Lamb falls to you, and even though in your head you were thinking you were taking a cornerback, who, by the way, that, that secondary guy you got in the next round. So it didn't matter. Right. Um, the, people, the people thought you were going to take him in the first round, you took him in the second round. And you got an explosive dynamic receiver in CD Lamb to go with Amari Cooper and to go with Michael Gallup, who is emerging. Um, to your point, it, it's potentially the best three person, three man tandem wide receiving core in the league if CD Lamb lives up to what we think he could be. Uh, he could be a, you know, OBJ type wide receiver. And, if you're the Cowboys, you just got to do it. You just take talent. You've got Zeke. You've got uh, Dak Prescott signed on his, uh, on his tender offer um, on the, uh, uh, you know, since they couldn't come up with the, the, the contract on him. So he's playing for big money still. And I think you put them into a better offensive system with under Mike McCarthy than what you had with, uh, Jason Garrett. And I think the Cowboys are going to enjoy a little bump in the change of scenery at coach. Um, the new discipline that's showing up in the offseason this year with the Cowboys. It's, uh, Jason Garrett is a wonderfully nice man, but, uh, he was a, he was a doormat for those players. And they stepped all over him and wiped their feet with him. And Mike McCarthy's coming in. He's instilling some discipline. I'm not a big Mike McCarthy fan, but uh-huh. um, you and I both know that initially these things can work for a time. Um, in terms of getting players' attention, um, snapping them, you know, getting them to buy into the new system, it's certainly the one that's going to be uh, vertically oriented. Prescott has shown that, that that's fine in terms of the passing game and his ability. And, and as long as they're doing that, it's going to open up lane for Zeke Elliott to be uh, a dominant again. So the, offensively, this Cowboys team is loaded, and there's no reason why, you know, they, they, they won't go into any game thinking they can't score enough points to win a game. So from that standpoint, they're going to be competitive week in and week out offensively. Uh, even getting a backup, kind of like what Cleveland did with Case Keenum, getting a good backup in Andy Dalton, if God forbid something happens to Pac uh, Prescott, they've got another guy who, who can step right in, um, and, and they won't miss a beat, I think, uh, for the most part. Because we all know that you know, the, the, the Red Rocket there, or whatever his nickname was in Cincinnati, you know, he... He had his high, you know, he had some great moments. Um, they just couldn't win in playoffs, but I don't think you worry about Andy Dalton if he's got to start for you three or four weeks, worst case scenario, that you're going to have, you know, any issues on that front. So I think Dallas has, has put themselves in a position to have the best offense in the division by far. Defensively, they're hurting. I mean, losing Gerald McCoy after you signed him, uh, even though he's a Gerald McCoy on um, Downward slope of his career. Um, he's still, you know, a great presence in the middle of that line. Losing him was a real blow. They've got the great linebackers. Um, I think the question mark is uh, being that today they cut Ha Ha Clinton Dix, are they going to go after uh, uh, 
they going to go after and, and try to sign him? I would guess that they probably, Earl Thomas, I, I would guess that that's probably what they're going to do by freeing up that money that they were spending on dicks. So, defensively, they've got a lot of question marks, but, um, you know, they do have talent on that side of the ball, and they do have the ability from time to time to, uh, you know, play a good defensive game. So, uh, that's why I picked the Cowboys number one. Combined with the fact that, frankly, Rick, I just think there are too many question marks on the Eagles' side uh, of that ledger. I think the Eagles have more question marks right now than the Cowboys. They may very well. Uh, on the Cowboys, uh, just a couple of follow-up points there. Uh, this has been really one of the issues with them the last couple of years is depth on their defense. They, they always manage to have, it almost seems like a certain number of really standout starters, three, four, five, but they never really kind of get over that point, and they never really seem to have uh, that much uh, you know, depth across even their starting unit here. And part of this is because of their cap issues over the years and the, the money that they are assigning to some of their higher payroll players, which uh, has really complicated uh, you know, retaining all of the offensive skill position players. And offensively, when you look at Mike McCarthy, this is a thing where I think the best case scenario for Cowboy fans, I know you kind of disagreed with me a little bit when we were going through the AFC West on what I said about Andy Reid, about how I felt like he sort of got a second win coaching-wise in Kansas City. But so, some of the, the tactics I saw there, and, and some of the things, I, was his reputation as a choker overblown in Philadelphia? Uh, yeah, probably. But, I mean, I really do think that this is the best version of Andy Reid we've ever seen. And, yeah, Patrick Mahomes has a lot to do with it. But, like I said, the play calling that he did in the Super Bowl, of uh, uh, where they basically did rope-a-dope for three quarters until unleashing Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter, I thought was brilliant. And if you're a Cowboy fan, that's what you got to be looking at and you got to be hoping happens here because we've heard all these stories. Mike McCarthy, he took his year away from the game. He said, okay, fair enough. I'm a guy that needs to get with the 21st century. And he's a bright guy. There's nothing that says that he can't do it. If you're a Cowboy fan, you got to be hoping that he pulled it off successfully and that, like with Andy Reid, the second version of him, is really well suited for today's game. I, I really, I don't know if you caught this the other day. Uh, the Cowboys, like a lot of teams, had a uh, intra-team scrimmage at the stadium, mm -hmm. and a lot of it was, uh, you know, put on like Facebook and social media, and you could watch it if you were a Cowboys fan on the Blue Star Network. And um, uh, McCarthy did something really interesting that I thought was actually brilliant, and and that was. Um, he basically he basically took the numbers and the names off all the players okay. in their jerseys when they played. So unless you knew who they are by just looking at them physically in their uniform, if you were the opposing team, you know, you're or you're either side in the division trying to watch their game a little bit to get some clues on what Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore are thinking. Um you better know those players because you weren't you weren't going to know if you, you, there's no name and there were no numbers. Wow! So, so there was you know no no tell as to who's a starter or who's secondary. Um, you know on and on and on and on. He's definitely he's definitely changing the uh, right out of the gate uh, some culture change, and uh, I think that's that's needed. And to your point, now we need to see what how that translates in terms of game day prep and, uh, you know, what kind of offensive 
system they're going to run, and is Mike ready to do the second act of his career, um, or or was what we saw in the last few years of Green Bay what, what we're going to get? So, as, as a Cowboy fan, I will tell you, I I hope it's what you say, um, and uh, you know, time will tell. Well, I mean, planning it and implementing it are two different things. But I will be shocked if the planning is not modern. Because, again, he's going to make the biggest jackass out of himself in the history of the world if he trots out the same playbook as he had in Green Bay after all this big talk about, you know, I took the time away and I refreshed myself and I understood modern concepts. And So, yeah, I mean, I think the approach is going to be there. We'll see what the execution is. And there's good reason to feel that the execution is going to be strong. It may just, again, be a thing of having to outscore uh, the other team on a pretty consistent basis here based on how many stops you can get defensively. I do understand uh, some of your questions about uh, Philadelphia because especially at the skill positions, uh, there's been a little bit more of a question mark than we're used to seeing. Uh, they are still sort of acclimating uh, in, in the new era at, at running back here. Uh, as the uh, the guys that uh, led the team to the Super Bowl are not there anymore. Wide receivers really been sort of a turnstile over the last year or so. But again, one way or another, they always seem to get guys to be able to step up enough here. Uh, defensively, again, I expect them to be fairly strong. And uh, I'm going with them as uh, my divisional winners. I do have, uh, I have Dallas just missing the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. I have Philly winning the division at 10 and 6, and it's a matter, as I look at it here, of uh, I've got them getting to the second round of the playoffs, but I was looking at some odds today on CBS Sports uh, where they were looking at uh, teams that are potentially underpriced for a deep run. I will say this, I mean, I, I don't think there's any super deep sleepers in the NFL this year, teams that are thought to be downtrodden, that have a big run in them. I just don't see that. But if you're looking at that next tier or the one below that, wherever you slot the Eagles, uh, I, I, again, if you're looking for a team to go to the Super Bowl where you can get a decent price on them, uh, the Eagles would be my pick. I don't think they'll make the Super Bowl. I don't even think they'll make the NFC Championship game. But uh, from a gambling perspective, I kind of like them as far as what the price is likely to be. Well, my issues with the Eagles are, are, are multifold. I have them. I, we literally have Dallas in, in Philly. I have Dallas at 10 and 6, Philly at 9 and 7. Okay. Um, I, I think the first thing is, is can Carson Wentz get through the season uh, healthy? That's the first question mark right. for them. And that's even a bigger question mark because the absolute train wreck that their offensive line is right now. True. Um, I, I, that's gonna, I think that's going to manifest itself in bad ways as the season goes on. I think they're bringing in Cordy Glenn now to try to ch check him out. Um, as they're making cuts on the roster, getting ready um, for Saturday's cut down, I don't. I, I think that's going to that's going to be the biggest problem uh, for the Eagles. And despite the fact that they picked up Darius Slay, I'm still not particularly thrilled with their secondary at this point. Um, so I, I think that they've got some issues. Uh, I agree with you. The defensive line, linebackers, great stuff. Yep. Um, but I, I think there's. I think that running game. I think. That they've had, they had a couple of opt outs at wide receiver, but they had, they had four pass guys, man. They could field the track team, starting with Sean Jackson. Um, the receiving core is still a little bit uh, weaker than the Cowboys to me. Ken Wentz to stay healthy. I worry about that with that, that, that suspect 
Bears offensive line at this moment, and um, that's just why I downgraded them. Uh, you know, just below the Cowboys. Uh, you know, going into the going into the year, um, if those two ended up flipped, it wouldn't shock me. But uh, I've got the Eagles at nine and seven, and nipping at the Cowboys' heels uh, all the way to the end of the season. Yeah, I think we both agree that they'll be pretty close there. I will say, as far as Philly goes, I don't question what you're saying about uh, the offensive line because uh, it really did sort of, I think, peak right around the time of their Super Bowl run, which is not coincidental in that regard. The one thing I will say is Doug Peterson uh, running a system that is basically a close descendant of what used to be there under Andy Reid. You go back to the days when they had Westbrook back there, and the, the Eagles always could use that short passing game to keep the other teams a little bit off balance here. So like you said, in terms of uh, what you have at wide receiver, in terms of the speed at running back, you know, whether it be running bubble screens or whatever, there might be other ways of being able to uh, work around that uh, offensive line. Doug Peterson's a creative enough guy that I think that uh, that may not hurt them quite to the degree that it might other teams. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's, it's the continuity and quality of coaching um, is a benefit to them where that uh, is a question mark now in a place like New York. Yeah, well, and uh, I love when you set me up for segues that aren't... That's uh, what uh, I do, man. Well, That's yeah. That's what I do. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, you know... I, I'm just going to say it. I am that damn good at generating them, but sometimes I need a little help. And you, you gave me the assist I needed right there because when you look at the, the Giants, uh, that whole thing to me, and we've heard some good things coming out of camp, but it's hard to know what to make of these things. It's hard to know how much of this is just the usual press puffery and whatever about how Judge Joe Judge is doing there in New York, but the, the way that he got there, to me, was just sort of classic Giants bumbling the way that they've been the last couple of years. Uh, the whole thing where they were really, really chasing Josh McDaniels, and Belichick uh, is all like, no, no, here's the guy you really want. And they're all like, well, gee, thanks, Mr. Belichick. Thanks for pointing us in the right direction and away from the guy we thought we wanted. And they end up with him, a guy that nobody else was even kicking the tires on. Now, I go back to when uh, uh, you, you had Doug Peterson getting hired by the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, FDH Lounge dignitary Joe Stazak was bemoaning on this show that the Eagles had gone after a guy nobody else even talked to, uh, whereas my Cleveland Browns were able to land Hugh Jackson. So you never know. Some of these takes may not age well. But uh, this yeah. is a classic. Yeah, it's a classic example. Nobody else was looking at this guy. The Giants better be right. That's what happens when you go out on a limb. You better be right. The Eagles were right, and the Giants better be. Well, it, it's 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 gonna it's gonna cost Gay Gilman his job. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Because he, he went off script. He went on the guy that, to your point, no one else was looking at. I mean, Joe Judge was being looked at for a couple of college teams. Right. Um, and and so I wasn't one of the Mississippi State maybe that was looking at it. I or, think so. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of you know sort of you know mid level power five, and um, you know he he just you know they they snatched him up and tossed him in there, and um, we all thought they were going to make this big move for Matt Rule, and they just they didn't even do that. Um, so uh, to your point. 
know, I'm hearing good things like you are. Uh, you know, he certainly is sort of an old school guy. He's clearly, you know, again, the warning bells. He seems like he's already like every other Belichick protege. He's trying to, you know, channel his inner bill right out of the gate. And it's like, boy, we've seen this before. Right. Um, so that is a little worrisome. But I do love the fact that they, uh, 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 they, they, Upgraded their offensive line by uh, by taking the left tackle out of Georgia, uh, who I was a big fan of, as you know. Yes. Um, I would if he'd been there at Kent for the Browns, I would have grabbed him in a second because he he was a three year starter in the SEC, two years of dominating at left tackle in the SEC. Right. Do so I think he has the highest a higher ceiling than Jedrick Wills, who, for example, who the Browns did take at Kent? No, I don't, but I think the floor is higher. Like, you know what you're getting in Andrew Thomas. He's going to be the 12th best left tackle in the NFL the next decade. And, you know, for some teams, like, that's, you know, hitting a double is good enough. Right? Right. Like, just don't try to overthink the room. You know, get a solid double. Get a man on base. You know, he's a nice little horse there. Um, you know, that's what Andrew Thomas is. He's going to be a solid guy. He's going to help keep Daniel Jones upright. Uh, Jones struggled a lot with pressure in the pocket and uh, strip sacks, especially last year. Yeah. And, you know, if you keep defenders off of him, I think Jones has a chance to be a good quarterback. At least he showed some things. So they clearly, you know, they've got to run a game in Saquon Barkley, although I'm not the fan on Saquon that others are. I, I You know, to me, he is he is a... The consummate, you know, he run, you know, 18 rushes in a game, 16 of them are for one and a half yards, and then two of them are for 50 yards and 40 yards. And then we say, wow, what a, how amazing he was. Um, and, and that's what he is. He's a home run hitter. Otherwise, you get two yards out of him. Uh, so, I mean, they, they have a running game. They've got some, some real questions on defense and sort of a, no, no identity on that defense at all. And um, so I just can't I can't see the the Giants going beyond say like five and eleven this year, um, despite some positive elements in terms of the, the things they're starting to build there, uh, especially on the offensive line. Um, they've got a ways to go. They just don't have enough, in my opinion, to compete um, over sixteen games and the push for the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm higher on Barkley than you are, and I, I would connect a lot of that to the problems with the line. And I think that the improved offensive line uh, this year after they've made the investment, I think that'll help uh, somewhat with getting Barkley to be more consistent. Uh, as far as Danny Dimes goes, I mean, I don't know. The the, the guy, he just, to me, has a you know, not a very high ceiling. I, I don't see him being a consistently good quarterback in this league, so... Uh, sort of a homeless man's Eli Manning, I guess, is what I see when I look at him, which is sort of apropos when you look at their recent history as far as somebody who uh, only sporadically could get it done at high levels. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm not impressed with, the, they have a lot to, to further to go in terms of the rebuilding of this team. Having Gettleman as the GM uh, doesn't help matters. And this is a thing where, you, you just look at, I mean, the, the, the Giants, to me, are one of the great enigmas of uh, the 21st century, not just in football, but in society, I would say, one of the great enigmas, Chris Galloway, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, 
You know, Jerry Reese in 07. I mean, I'm not saying that was the second coming of the 74 Steelers draft, but you had seven guys that you hit on that helped you to win the Super Bowl the next season. And that guy got off to a hell of a start. And then it just was a slow fade from there with the Giants talent acquisition. And again, they, they had enough to get it over the hump a couple of years later. Uh, EY Manning, you know, I, I always used to say that uh, that guy never seemed to get his game going until the Iowa caucuses kicked in. His, his team was usually eliminated, and it wasn't in presidential years when uh, he would be in the playoffs other times. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, they were just, they were a weird team. They really were. They had two Super Bowl wins despite not having dominant teams either season. And it's just, it's, it's hard to know what to make of them. I mean, they're, if you want to say, you know, one, you know, a, a, it's hard to say that a team that's won two Super Bowls in 15 years has not been a very successful team because uh, any of us with our own teams would kill for that. But they just, right. those were sort of isolated moments of glory. And it gives the well, franchise. They always feel like the Florida Marlins of the NFL in that regard. Don't they? You know, yeah. It's like, there's a lot of suck, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, how do we have a little series? And the next year, oh, they suck again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really, really strange thing because it's not it, it's not like the Parcells years where usually when a team is really strong over a period of time, you draw a straight line through on it, and the, the, the Giants, even when they had their success, were herky-jerky, and then as, as the Jerry Reese talent acquisition really hit the wall, that's where the team has bottomed out over the last couple of years. Having Dave Gettleman in there, who I understand is a nice man, that's going to keep you at a bottomed-out kind of a stage right now. He, he had some isolated success in Carolina, but isolated is the word I would use. But yeah, I don't look for anything out of the Giants. I got him at 5-11. and 11. That would be the same record that I have the Washington don't call them the Redskins at at five and eleven. Although having said that, when you look at this and, and again they're a team that's doing a lot of weird things like uh, again just just very, very recently as we're taping here, cutting Adrian Peterson when they don't have much of a depth chart to speak of at running back. Nevertheless though, it's a thing where as as much as it's a dumpster fire with the, the Dan Snyder ownership, and I said a couple of years ago, by the way, that uh, when Scott McClellan left there, I said, look out. It's going to become the same clown show it was before, and you can trace the reassertion of it being a clown show to when that happened, uh, when you didn't have an adult in the room making the picks and, and running things there. Ron Rivera, I'm sounding a much different tone about him than I am about Joe Judge because that guy is proven as an NFL head coach. He had his ups and downs in Carolina. I happen to think that some of the downs... Uh, were, were things that were out of his uh, control, uh, i.e. the talent acquisition, uh, and he was somebody he had to deal with uh, what Dave Gettleman was getting him there uh, with the Panthers previously. Ron Rivera, I am much higher on than Joe Judge, at least at this point in time, till we see something out of Judge, and I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you agree with me on that. I, I do, and I think Ron Rivera, to your point, is finally an adult of that franchise. He's yeah. not going to put up with nonsense. Right. And um, it's discipline that that team needs uh, and that franchise needs right now. Now, obviously, the coach can't do so much. You can't fix the rest of the off front office. You can't fix the owner. Um, but you can certainly, you know, you can certainly provide a, a balance against that and a weight. And um, I think this, I was just going to say, but for the Redskins, 
like really do. He's stable. He's the kind of guy that, you know, he's going to be there for the next five or six years. They're going to get better. There'll be a playoff run at the end. And then they'll run them out of town. You know, it'll happen. Yeah. Um, but for now, it's what he's exactly what they need. And um, so that's one thing going in their favor. I think that by and large, they just don't have enough talent on both sides of the ball. Although they have some players. I mean, first of all, I mean, they, I mean, I mean the, the two Buckeyes, right? I mean, right. Uh, Terrence McLean and it was just like a speedster. Um, they've gotten, you know, they, they cut Adrian Peterson because I believe in the young running backs. They got a stable of them. And, 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 and you've got Chase Young, who is just, that guy is going to just destroy people this year. He is a machine. Right. Um, they've got parts and pieces, but there's still a lot of questions on Haskins. Is he sure enough? Is he prepared to lead a franchise? Is he prepared to be the starting quarterback? I think we saw some flashes in the last six games last year where it seemed like he was maybe starting to apply himself. I mean, stories out of the building were that he finally started to take it kind of seriously and prepare better uh, towards the end of the year and start to reflect the games. Um, so if he if he dedicates himself to the game and, you know, he, he, you know, he could be the answer for them, but that's still a huge question mark. And, and right now in that division, he would be your fourth ranked quarterback, in my opinion. Certainly he has a ceiling where he could bypass Daniel Jones, um, but he hasn't shown it yet. Uh, so they have some pieces that a new, better, Posting staff, but with all the dysfunction, all the controversy, and all the nonsense surrounding that franchise, it's hard to believe that they have enough to do anything but finish last in the division. Well, exactly, and you know Haskins, you know, as you know from your boy Trubisky, the curse of the one-year starter in college. Which, by the way, uh, the fact that he was only a one-year starter when I was screaming the whole time about how overrated J.T. Barrett was. That, that's the big uh, brown, wet skid mark on Urban Meyer's record, uh, sticking with him as long as he did. But if the fact remains, Haskins only got one year there as a starter, and uh, that makes it tough. I certainly like his odds better than I did a year ago when it was Jay Gruden in there with, uh, with Washington, and uh, we'll have to see how the development goes from here. And, uh, yeah, it's an offensive skill position group that is really in flux, which is going to make it harder for them. Uh, Defensively, yeah, I agree with everything that you said there. And that, I mean, from day one, I look for Chase Young to come in and be absolutely dominant. That's a guy where it strikes me like Chase Young, if you're going to be like a young, dominant pass rusher in the NFL – doesn't that sound like a hip hop alter ego name that you would use for a player? But he was born with it. <laughs> well, it's a great name, and, and forget you know he's 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 a better player, um, and, and I can't wait as an NFL fan to sit and watch him uh, because he just impressed the heck out of me last year at Ohio State, and uh, at, from what we've seen so far in the spring in. in what we're hearing at a camp is not missing a beat. Yeah. Apparently, he's a handful. He's a handful already, um, and so it would appear that he is going to have a Musa-like uh, welcoming party to the NFL. You know, I hope 
about a Redskins camp, and there I see I did it again, um, <laughs> is that, and I'll be doing it for years, the same way I still call the Chargers in San Diego. Chargers. That's right. Me too. Um, uh, the report out of Washington's camp is that Haskins has been really solid. And, um, and good reports. So, uh, you know, if you can, if you feel confident in that, you know, maybe these guys do have some pieces. And isn't it hilarious that it's basically their three best pieces are all Buckeyes? It is kind of funny. <laughs> Although, again, you know, I think uh, Dan Snyder had some kind of personal connection, I guess, to the Haskins family. That accounts for it in that case. I mean, you know, Young was a no-brainer to take where they took him. McLaurin was the one where it was like that. That didn't necessarily have to be in terms of him going there, but it worked now, out. I will, I'll be honest. I didn't agree with that pick. I yeah. was like, I didn't, I didn't think that, that Terry was worthy of that high a pick. Yeah. Uh, and I it, 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 I was absolutely wrong, and and obviously other teams would have agreed with me because they didn't take him either. Yeah. Um, so well, uh, you know, it's a pleasant surprise. In that well, regard. look at how much better a dude is when he doesn't have JT Barrett throwing uh, to him. To go back to that particular point. Well, but, I mean, to your point, that I mean, look, it matters, right? Yeah. The quarterback is matters, and uh, like we've talked about some of the other division previews. I weigh heavily in a quarterback league on who is your quarterback. Right. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, that's why right now Washington is in part pulling up the rear. Right. And uh, I will say also, too, going back to what you said, and this is a good way to sort of bring it full circle about Ron Rivera, where you said that, uh, you know, as, as good as he is, there are things that he can't control like the front office, well, I will tell you this, that part of the whole reconfiguration that they've had there in D.C. Uh, was to dump Bruce Allen, who, yeah, he might have had some good moments in Tampa when he was paired up with John Gruden earlier in his career, but the entirety of his career there in D.C., uh, here's a nerdy joke that only two people are going to get, and those people are you and I. His career in D.C. It was the equivalent of his brother George's Senate campaign in 06. The two were identical. I, I am I am pantomiming a reach right now as we speak, but uh, I'm very proud of coming up with that one, by the way. So, Larry, like you said, on that note here, uh, we will wrap the 2020 NFC East. Thank you, Chris Galloway. Coming up next, it's the 2020 NFC North.